It's great to be here with you this morning as we continue uh, in this series, Kingdom Living Volume 2. Uh, we're looking at Christ's Sermon on the Mount, and uh, we have already looked at the fact that Christ's Sermon on the Mount, really, when we look at the entire idea of Scripture, but especially in the New Testament, it is the clearest picture of Christian culture. That if you really want to know what does it mean to be a Christian, what does it mean to, 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 to live Christ-like, then really the Sermon on the Mount is the place to look in Matthew 5 through 7. And we've looked at the first half, we're in Matthew chapter 6, we've looked at the first half of that chapter. And Jesus spends time in the first half of Matthew chapter 6 looking at our private life. Like what does it look like to, to give and, and to pray and to fast and these disciplines, but, but not just to do them in a way that people can see, but to really in our heart. Uh, worship the Lord through these spiritual disciplines or exercises. And then in the second half of Matthew 6, Jesus takes us to our public life a little bit. He, he says, how does these things that we do in Christ and with Christ, how does it manifest itself in a way that, that it impacts those all around us? And, and really in the second part of Matthew 6, he deals with this issue of ambition. Ambition. Now, what's ambition? Uh, simply put, ambition is what we seek after. But what is Christian ambition then? Well, it's seeking after God's glory. God's glory. And when we seek after God's glory, it's interesting. When we live a life that the scripture describes as a selfless life, seeking after God's glory, we find that many of the blessings that we try to pursue in our own strength, the Lord pours into us. And so that's what we're exploring together. And Jesus, in Matthew 6, 19 through 34, he gives us really four alternatives leading us to this understanding of, of ambition and, and, and really the great reward of, of living for Jesus. These four alternatives, he talks about two treasures, two conditions, two masters, and, and two desires. And so we're going to jump right in this morning. We're going to start with Matthew 6, looking at verses 19 through 21 where Jesus talks about two treasures, and all four of these are meant to, to really be tied together to lead us to this understanding of Christian ambition and the great reward of seeking God's glory. So Jesus proclaims, Matthew 6, verse 19, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so Jesus talks about these two treasures we can seek. We can seek treasures on earth or, or, or heavenly treasures, treasures in heaven. Now, first of all, it's important to note that, that Jesus isn't speaking against possessions. It's okay to own things. I, I say this often because, I, especially in the winter months, I, I think it's even more important to me as someone who grew up partly in Florida. How many of you rode or drove here? That's a nice possession, isn't it? Yes. You didn't have to walk. And Jesus doesn't want us to feel guilty for, for having things. That's, that's, not the, that's not the issue here. He doesn't want us to feel guilty for planning for the future. My guess is many people in this room have a life insurance policy. Uh, you may have a savings account. You may have a rainy day fund. Uh, the Lord isn't talking against any of those things, but he is talking about sort of materialism. Materialism is different than just having possessions. It's an attitude of the heart and mind where we feel a security in the things we have. See the difference there? 
That we work to get possessions because the more possessions we have, the more secure we may feel. And our security is to be found in Christ. He's our ambition. So it's not against things that Jesus is speaking of. It's against sort of the worship of things. The treasures you store on earth will pass away. The the treasures you store in heaven will be forever. Heavenly treasures are are what? They're Christ-like character. It's learning to love like Christ loves. It's it's really living in a way where we're sharing his love and message with other people and and discipling one another and using the possessions we have to advance the causes of Christ. See, Jesus teaches that where where your heart follows, your your treasure will be, is where your treasure is. Your heart follows your treasure. Therefore, we need to store up treasure in heaven. Here it is. Jesus is teaching that the only safe investment that will produce throughout eternity is an investment in his kingdom that brings him glory, that blesses us and benefits those around us. Here's the honest truth. Everything we have will eventually belong to somebody else. Think about it. My mom passed before my father. When he passed, we had all this stuff. And and, and after everyone in the family, you know, my brother and I, our our wives, our kids, after everyone took what they sort of wanted, you know, to remember them, or they wanted this couch, and we were left with all this other stuff. And then my brother and I go, what what are we going to do with this stuff? And, and, And he said, well, let's have a garage sale. So we had a garage sale. My mom collected lighthouses. I mean, she had to have 100 lighthouses, and I'm not exaggerating. I can remember my dad time and time again saying, don't you have enough lighthouses? Now, I love the fact she collected lighthouses because how many of you have our time buying for your parents? If I found a lighthouse, like, I'm giving that for this birthday. She'll like that. Picture the grandkids or a lighthouse, you know? Either one was a winner. And, and who's good? What are we going to do? So we got to sell all these lighthouses. It was part of the thing we did. So we, being sort of who we are as a family, we made a contest out of it. Who could sell the most lighthouses? By the way, I won. I won. I won because I was in there with somebody, and she said, you know, my brother collects lighthouses. I said, really? I said, would he be interested in these? She said, I think he would. So I said, I'll tell you what. I'll tell him they can't sell a lighthouse until he comes and looks at them. I said, do you think he wants them all? She goes, he probably would like it. So he came. I sold it as a package deal. I sold all of them except the ones that we had taken, and a couple of it had snuck out and had already been sold. I won the lighthouse challenge. But I thought here and thought, you know, when I look at my stuff I collect, it's, it's not good. My poor kids, they're going to have to do the same type of thing. We, we, we accumulate stuff, and, and, and sometimes we put such a priority on those things we have. And yet they're not gonna, we can't take it with us. Can't take it with us. But the things that we do for God, pouring into other people, can be an eternal investment. Think about that. The only thing we can take with us into heaven is one another. And so Jesus says, watch, watch where your treasure is. That, that's going to speak to, to where your ambition is. And then he speaks to two conditions. Matthew 6, 22 through 23. And we're just running through these because they're meant to be looked at together. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Two conditions of our heart, really. We have to understand, culturally speaking, when Jesus uses the word I, he's also speaking of heart. We would use the word heart. So the two conditions of our heart, either full of light or full of darkness. Again, the I is symbolic of the heart. As the I affects the whole body, our ambition determines our direction in life. 
That's what Jesus is really talking about here. He's saying if our heart's in the right place, if our heart's in the right place, then we're going to find ourselves walking on the right path. But if our heart's in the wrong place, we'll find ourselves walking on the wrong path, which will be full of darkness. Jesus teaches that the condition of your heart determines your path. If your spiritual vision is correctly adjusted to God and his priorities, our lives are filled with his purpose, and we're driven by a desire to glorify him. I mean, I don't think this is really too far for us to understand. Our attitude determines our altitude in some ways. Isn't that true? I don't know about you, but I got up this morning, I didn't know it was supposed to snow. You know, and my first thought when I looked out there was, I'm about done with this. <laughs> it, it, yeah, it's a, preach it, right? I, I, I remember when I was in Wisconsin, my first winter up there. Trust me, now that was a winter. And I was about this time of year, and I came into church, and I said to one of my colleagues, I said, I'm done shoveling. I mean, it was just crazy. And he got this horrified look on his face and said, oh, Craig, you can't stop shoveling now. We still, have a, we still have a lot of winter to go. In fact, when I went up there, I was, I was in Florida at the time, and when, when I talked to the church in Wisconsin, the vice chairman of the board said, hey, winter's not that much longer up here. It's about a month earlier and a month later. Month later. I said, dude, that's two months. I said, that is not the way to sell a position to someone from Florida. But, but God called me, and I went, and I enjoyed everything but the, the negative degree weather all the time. But, uh, but, but I, was, I was thinking through that, and I, and I thought, well, that's the way I started out my day. I thought, I can't believe it's snowing again. I didn't know what was going to snow. I got to church, and here's a gentleman who's out making sure our sidewalks look all nice and everything here at the church, at the building here. And, and he walks by me and says, isn't this a beautiful winter morning? And I looked around, and I said, you know what it is? It's a beautiful winter morning. See the difference in attitude? I can't do anything about whether it snows or not, but I can do something about my attitude. And I can look to Jesus, and I can allow him to allow me to, to have light in my heart instead of darkness and walk the right path. And Jesus says, that's, that determines, is determining your ambition. You seeking your glory or are you seeking God's glory? And then Jesus talks about even two conditions. Oh, we just looked at it. We looked at two masters. Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. Let's deal with the elephant in the room on that passage. He's talking about two masters, and why doesn't he just stay general? No, he goes specific, doesn't he? He mentions money. Why? Because 2,000 years ago, they were wrestling with the same thing many of us do. And that's finding our security in the finances we have. Now, by the way, money's not bad. I like having it, by the way. I had a friend one time who, who in his Christian faith, said, I hate money. I said, well, good for you. Give me what you got. I said, I'll take what you have. And neither one of us had much. So I thought, I'll take a little bit of what you are not don't have. I'll just make mine a little bit, a little bit less than a little bit. A little more than a little bit. And he's, I said, no, no, no. I, I, Jesus isn't talking against money again, but he, but he does understand the struggle we have with finding our security in those things. And so he uses this example, I think, to sort of jolt us a little bit. But he wants us to know it's not just money. It's, it's anything, anything of our own creation that we put before God. Do you realize even in marriage that if I put my wife before Jesus that I'm doing a great disservice to her? Like, like, like I, I, I'll have a couple say, I, I'm finding my security in my marriage and I go, well, that's going to fail you. Do you realize the pressure you're putting on someone in a relationship if you're putting your security in them and you're expecting them to do what only God can do for you? 
Talking about a recipe for disaster. I love my children, but I don't put them before God. I love God before I love them. And they should want me to do that. Can you imagine if I say, my, all my joy comes from my kids? Anyone here a parent? Anyone here ever been a child? Then you're going to be disappointed. There are going to be times where you go, I wasn't really joyful. Right? Come on now. God is to be our everything. Not people, not money, not, nothing else. And when we put anything else as the master of our life before God, things go haywire. Why? Because no one can serve two masters. Your heart can only be devoted to either God or money. You, you, you can't serve God in anything else. It just doesn't work that way. You, you can't have God be like almost everything. You know, I'm going to give 60% of myself to God. He, got, he has the majority. And God said, it just doesn't work that way. We've all been there, haven't we, on our Christian journey? I'll give you everything, God, but this. The Lord goes, well, I'll wait. I'll wait. We'll see how this works. So I'll wait. Jesus teaches that we have a choice. Isn't that interesting? We get to either choose to, to place him first or choose to put something else in that place. We, we, we choose whether we serve God or, or money or anything else. And if we're attempting to divide our allegiance between God or money or anything else, we've already chosen the other thing. Right? I mean, that's the choice. You say, well, I didn't deny God. I just chose this. Well, then you chose something over him. And, and let me just be honest with this. This is something that I still am growing in. How about you? Like, there are moments I'm really good at this. And then there are moments where all of a sudden I realize, oh, God, I've put something before you. I've placed my security in something else. And, and I've got to come to him and say, Lord, I choose you. Help me live out of the choice I want to make. Even sometimes when my flesh does, wants to choose something else. Come on, church, let's be real this morning. And God is so faithful in, that, in those situations to be true to us. Then Jesus concludes a little lengthier passage with these two desires. Look at Matthew 6, 25 through 34. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and your body more than clothing? Now, by the way, I, I just have to say that verse 25, is your body not more than food? There's a whole lot that I could be transparent about, but it's none of your business on that one. But, but verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor, nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of value than they? We're going to camp a little bit there too. Do you hear what Jesus said there? He said, he takes care of the birds. Are you not more valuable than them? See, I really believe that the great struggle that many of us have of finding our security in God is that we don't understand how much he values us. Think about that. I mean, a lot of people ask me all the time, well, why would God love me? And I, to be honest with you, I don't know. I don't know why he loves me so much, except that he's our heavenly father. And as a dad, I understand how much I love my kids, how much I value them. And so we may not totally understand why God would love us so profoundly, but we can't deny he does because he sent his own son to die for us. You say, how valuable are you? The death of his own son is how valuable you are in the eyes of God. And so it's no small thing, but Jesus, are you not more valuable than they? Well, yeah, a whole lot more. Jesus didn't come to die for the birds. 
He came to die for us, for you, for me. Verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of your life? Verse 28. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? O oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious about anything, what you shall eat, what you shall drink, or what you'll wear. For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is even is its own trouble. Now, the whole passage here that we just looked at starts with therefore. Now, you know what I'm about to say if you've been around here for a while. When you see therefore in Scripture, you ask the question what? What is it? Therefore. And the therefore is there to let us know that all the things that Christ has talked about with the two treasures and, and the two conditions and, and these things, they, they all come down to this lesson. Therefore, in reference to all these things that he's talked about, this treasure, the conditions, the masters, he wants us to consider those things and, and, and to understand in context of what he's going to write about here, which is really the two desires that one possesses. Is it, do, do we have a false ambition, material security, or a Christian ambition, God's rule and righteousness? He, he says, which, which one are you? Because he's writing here, he says, he's speaking here, he says, pursuing a false ambition or own material security is both unnecess unnecessary, unworthy, and unproductive for a Christian. I want to unpack that for a minute. And Jesus uses what? Food and drink and clothing, which John Stott calls the trinity of cares. It's not that those things aren't important, by the way. Nowhere does Jesus say that he's against us, concerned to make sure we have those things. Like, we got to drink to survive, right? We, we, we got to eat to survive. Clothing's a good thing. I appreciate it very much. So it's not, it's not that type of thing that he's speaking against. He, he's denouncing worry. That's what he's talking about. He's saying worry is unnecessary for a Christian because life is more important than these things. You say, yeah, but it's pretty important. Yeah, but God values you. It's not that we don't do things to, to, to get these things. It's, he says, don't worry about these things. Don't be so consumed by these things as if God isn't on the scene and working. He, says, he gives us a lesson from the birds. You're more valuable than they. He says, come on. And then he says, worry doesn't change a thing. Isn't that true? How many of us have worried? I'll speak of myself. How many times have I worried about something that never even came to be? What a waste of energy, Right? I get so frustrated myself. I go, you worried and worried and worried, and it never even came to me. What a waste. You can't change it anyway. I got up and it was snowing. I go, I don't want it snowing today. And God said, I don't care. <laughs> you say, how do you know he didn't care? Because I didn't want it snowing, it still was snowing. Right? I mean, come on. He says, he cares about me. He just doesn't care about my childlessness. Come on now. Worry doesn't change things. And he gives us a lesson from flowers. He says, listen, the flowers are here. They look beautiful. You're more important than they are. See, worry is incompatible with faith. When we worry more, our faith is, is, is less. And when we trust more, our faith becomes 
more, our worry becomes less. It's not forethought, Jesus forbids. It's, it's anxious thought. Think about that for a minute. It's not forethought. For instance, I don't know. How many of you lay out your clothes the night before? I lay out my clothes the night before. I'm not a morning person, so it's the last thing I want to think about in the morning. And the other advantage is I, I get to say to my wife, does this go together? And she can tell me. So I tell people, if this doesn't match, it's her fault, not mine. <laughs> go talk to Krista. I don't even care, to be honest with you. But go talk to her. But, but I, lay, I lay out the night before. She even makes fun of me sometimes when I do. You know, I lay out, she goes, oh, my goodness. You know, I just, that's the way. I, forethought's my thing. I, I, I do that. You know, I, I, I like to plan. I'm a planner. But, but I don't want to have anxious thought. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to be so consumed that I'm trying to make sure everything's planned. Oh, my goodness. You know, I've got to plan this out. Because here's what I've realized. I can plan all I want. It doesn't mean it's going to happen. You know, it's not like Jesus says, why are you laying out clothes? You don't even know if you're going to be alive tomorrow. What a waste of time. I mean, it could. There's no guarantees, right? But I figure if I lay it out and I die, I'm going to be in heaven. I don't care. Someone else is going to have to put away the clothes. You know, that's a good thing. You deal with it, you know? But he's not, he's not talking about forethought's not a bad thing, but, but anxious thought is destructive. See, worthy's unworthy for, I mean, worry is unworthy for a Christian. After all, believers unbelievers run after these things. That's what Jesus says. He says, those who don't have God run after these things. Why would you run after these things? We're to seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. Think about that. In fact, in the Lord's Prayer, remember the prayer, it says, Father, may your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, that does a couple of things for us. It helps us know where our primary focus needs to be because it's right there before we even pray over our own needs because even in our own needs, we say, Lord God, may your will be done, Right? We want, to, we want you glorified in this. But it, it gives us a perspective adjustment that it's God's kingdom and rule that we want to see happen in our own life. And the righteousness that, that we speak of here, the very righteousness of God becoming a part of who we are, is both an individual thing and a corporate thing. We, we say, Lord, I, I want to seek after you, and so I want to become more like Jesus. I want, I want to be more like Jesus in my character, in my love, and and the way that, that I interact with others. I want to make sure your purpose is my purpose. Your priorities are my priorities. But we also want to see that happen in the world in which we live. But we got to be careful here. Because as believers, we can't expect unbelievers to live under the same job description we live under. That's where the church gets themselves in trouble, right? They look at the world around them and they go, why aren't they living the way Jesus wants them to? Because they don't know Jesus. Come on, church. It's ridiculous. How many, oh my goodness, I'm going to get myself in trouble. I'll speak of me, okay? That way you don't have to even be transparent this morning. I sometimes find it difficult to live like Jesus even though the Spirit of God is in me. Like the old self that's dead is not entirely dead yet until Jesus returns. The old self sometimes creeps back in. That's just me. I know it doesn't happen to any of you. That's just my experience. So how ridiculous would it be for me to say to someone who doesn't have the Spirit of God in them, why aren't you living like Jesus, if me, who has the Spirit of God in me, still sometimes is challenged by it? However, it doesn't mean I don't want God's will to happen within our community. And so I want to live as an everyday missionary in an everyday mission field, which means that it matters what happens in our schools. It matters what happens in our community. And we want to stand up and we, we want to vote. We can vote in this. We want to do things that promote the things of Christ. 
in the midst of a community that desperately needs him. Think about it. We seek his kingdom, his righteousness. And that's why, by the way, the righteousness that we seek is a little different than the world's. There's social justice, but the Bible talks about social righteousness. And so it may look different than the way the world looks at it. And you go, well, doesn't that frustrate you? It frustrates me when I expect them to look at things the way that the Bible teaches things when they don't even know Christ and aren't looking at the Bible. And so God wakes me up and goes, why would you expect out of those who don't know me things that only those who know me are pursuing? <laughs> Live differently, Craig, and let them be attracted to that so that they can come to Christ and become part of his kingdom. Is that not the way for God's righteousness really to rule? Is by seeing people come to Christ. It's really the only way it's going to happen. It's not going to happen because we simply tell them to, to behave better because we tell ourselves to behave better and can't do it without God. Our ambition is to know God and make him known. So believers are to desire God's rule in our life and, in, and corporately, and we're, we're, we're to live in a way that, that allows not worry, but the, but the very joy of knowing Christ to ooze from us so people will be attracted to who he is. Then we're to understand this. Worry is unproductive for a Christian because the future is beyond our reach. We've looked at that a little bit, but think about it. Worry has to do with the future, really. I've, I've never worried about something where I've envisioned God showing up in a big way. I worry when I picture a future where God isn't working. I, I came across this illustration just actually yesterday, so I didn't have time to, to put it together, but I thought it was a brilliant way of looking at it, so hopefully the way I describe it will make sense. But it's like we have this huge worry bucket. This huge worry bucket. And, and we give it to God, but the problem is, is that our worry bucket is bigger than the bucket that we have for God because our vision for God is so small. And so we, we pour the worry into the God bucket and it spills all over the place. And we take things back because God's bucket's so small. And, and so the challenge for us as believers, we're going to wrestle with worry. So how do we overcome that? It's by having a God-sized bucket. Realizing that God who spoke the world into existence, there's nothing that he can't do. And looking at a future of it says, you know what, I don't know how it's going to turn out, but God values me. And he's working and he has a plan for me. He has a plan for this. Pursuing a Christian ambition that God's righteous, it brings peace. Because we realize he values us so much that nothing we go through, nothing we go through is without the heavenly provisions of God being manifested. It may not be the way we want it to come out. But if we're praying, God, you be glorified through this, even in those things that are tough, he's given the glory and we win. See, Jesus teaches that what we desire produces specific fruit. Either we pursue Christian ambition leading to peace or false ambition leading to worry, which is so unnecessary, so unworthy, so unproductive. I like how Peter says this. He says, 1 Peter 5, 7, Cast all your anxieties on God because he cares for you. And then an interesting choice of words, really. He doesn't say cast all your anxieties on God because he's big enough to take care of it, although that's true. He says, get the right mindset because he cares for you. He loves you. He's with you. 
See, the problem is sometimes we picture the Christian life and he saves us and then Jesus says, I'll see you at the finish line. No. The scripture says we're in Christ. Even the things we do for Christ, we do with him. Right, church? He's with us. He's working in and through us. Here's the simple truth about Christian ambition. And here's how Christ has worked us through this. Your treasure determines your heart. Your heart determines the course of your life. You can't divide your heart between two masters who either pursue a false ambition leading to worry or Christian ambition leading to peace and heavenly provisions. You must choose whether or not you'll serve God and his rule and his righteousness. That's our choice. In short, we can, we can either be ambitious for ourselves or for God. There's really no third option. And, and I, I, I want to... I want to close with this thought because I think it's, it's, it's pivotal. It really is pivotal in this lesson. Because sometimes you'll listen to a message like this and you'll say, Craig, you don't understand how weak I am. I mean, you may not say it to the person next to you, but in your heart, you know it. You're saying, you know what? I do worry. I, I do sometimes seek my glory instead of God's glory. And, and I feel so weak. And I'm here to tell you that It's not your weakness that's the problem for any of us. It's our denial of how weak we actually are that drives us to dependency on God that's the problem. See, you may not voice this out to anyone else. You may be sitting there saying, I'm strong. No, you're weak. You say, tell me to my face. I just did. We're all weak. We can't save ourselves. We can't simply just make ourselves better. We need Jesus. Paul said, you know what? I've realized even in my weakness, I'm strong. But not really me, he says. It's it's Christ in me. It's Christ in you. It's Christ in me that makes all the difference. So Jesus says, where your ambition is, plays a huge role in how you think and the peace of God ruling in your life and the investment you get to make, whether it's temporal or eternal. It all begins by saying, Lord, I I admit I'm weak. I need you. I need you for salvation. I I need you to be Lord and Savior in my life. If you've never done that, if you're here on campus, online, Hopewell, I just encourage you. God values you. He sent his son Jesus to die for you so that he would be our strength. Amen, church? And if you're in Christ and you're saying, man, I've wrestled with this one. I've wrestled with it a lot. Join the club. We don't fail when we're honest with God. We fail when we act like we're something we're not before a God who already knows who we are. Think about that a little bit. God, you are my everything. I need you to be my everything. Please be my everything. Let my ambition be your glory. And Jesus says, and all the other things will be added to you. Seek after the other things, you'll never get what you're looking for. Not here. Seek after his glory and all the other things are added unto you. Let's pray.
Father God, thank you so much for placing such a huge value on me, for placing such a huge value on us. I think of the people outside the, the walls of this building who have yet to hear the good news, who are far from you but so close to your heart, and you value them. You sent your son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins, be resurrected for our salvation. And Lord, if anyone's yet to make that decision of receiving you as Lord and Savior of life, why not right now at this moment to journey with you, to realize that life doesn't work right when we allow anything else to get in the way of our relationship with you. That when we put our eyes on you, when we allow you to be our strength, when we allow you to work in and through us, when we acknowledge our weakness and our true dependency on you, that's when we're really made strong. It's when you're glorified. It's what we need. It's what the world around us needs. Worry is so unproductive and, and, and worry floods our life when our ambitions are off whack. Your peace, your power, your provisions are seen when our ambition is you. So God, thank you for meeting with us in such a such an amazing way here as we've gathered. But as we scatter, may we take the truth of our dependency on you, the truth of our ambition being wanting to glorify you, the truth of our weakness, and the fact that we're only strong when we admit that before you, when we're dependent on you. May all that just grow us up and who you've made us to be, your precious children, who you do not give up on. And we thank you so much for such a profound love you have for us. May that love ooze out of us to the world around us, I pray. In Christ's name.